for your word. Thank you for Matthew 23. I pray that as we look at it today, that you would help us all to be challenged by your word, to be encouraged and convicted by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This past venture out of my office, 22nd library at the college. After studying for some time, I ask, no, then I hear a classmate who you know from across the room go, shh, with a smile face. Yet a few moments later, this student, whose name starts with Ol and then Lee, begins a conversation of his own. And as I was, as I was preparing, I thought, what are... And, and it'd be a small example about hypocrites. When I would talk to a friend at uni in Ballarat about his experience in youth group that had an inappropriate relationship with one of the youth, he asked me why would he want to have any do with a hypocrite? And isn't that awful? Because of this hypocrite, my friend was closed to hearing anything about Jesus. Or what about the pastor I knew who had surely preached me that he committed an He did marriage counselling. He stood up with many couples while he made their vows to God. But he breaks his. All the people that were heartbroken and destroyed because of this pastor. This hypocrite. Isn't it sad? And I imagine you may feel a bit like I do when it comes to hypocrites. These people that destroy others' lives doesn't make you dislike, even despise, hypocrites. In Matthew 23, Jesus comes straight out with it and says clearly what he thinks of hypocrites. And it's a scathing rebuke, and it's a big chapter, but really... There are three parts. The explanation of the, to the crowds in verse 1 to 12. The condemnation of the Pharisees in verse 13 to 36. And a lamentation for Jerusalem in 37 to 39. An explanation, a condemnation, and a lamentation. But to really understand this chapter, we need to see what's been happening already. Uh, Jesus, I like to see it as Jesus has been verbally following Muhammad Ali's famous saying, Float like a butterfly. Sting like a bee. The religious leaders are, are throwing their punches trying to defeat, to trap, to condemn Jesus. You know, the Herodians take a jab, but fail. The Sadducees throw a haymaker, but get beaten back. The Pharisees throw an uppercut, but Jesus is ready. He bobs and weaves and gets more than a few in, in of his own. They're trying to get Jesus into the corner, but by the end of their attack... Jesus has them on the ropes. And in verse 24, uh, the last verse before our chapter, it says, No one could say a word in reply. From that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And then in our chapter, Jesus begins to majorly sting like a bee. He begins a relentless assault on these despicable hips. These guys that have seen the wonderful things Jesus has done, yet are trying to destroy him. They need to be told how they are leading people away. The only one who gives life. 
And so in verse 12, Jesus gives an explanation to the crowds and his disciples. With the Pharisees inevitably overhearing in the temple, tells everyone what he thinks of these hypocrites with two descriptions of their failures, two quick jabs. The first jab, Jesus says, is they're all talk. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They're all talk. In fact, verse 4 says, they heap heavy burdens on everyone around them and do not lift a finger to help. The only finger they lift is a finger that points at people and condemns and judges and tells them to do this, do that. You know, I often carry out the groceries from the car to our apartment up the stairs and like any man worth his salt, I attempt to take as few trips as possible. If I was like a Pharisee, it would be like me telling my two-year-old daughter to go get the groceries and carry them up the stairs without offering any help whatsoever. There's no mercy. There's no compassion. But the Pharisees aren't just loading up groceries. They're loading laws and regulations. They say where to keep the Sabbath day holy, so here are 39 extra laws, including how many steps you can take and how many letters you can write. But they're all talk. No action. The second jabs, Jesus says, is that they are nothing more than show ponies. Everything they to be seen by others. Their fashion sense, their seating arrangements, their titles. Verse 5 mentions their phylacteries were wide and their tassels were long. Here's a picture of a phylactery. Uh, they took an Old Testament reference in Deuteronomy literally to put God's word on their foreheads, and they would make sure everyone saw their great phylactery. You know, they must be close to God with a phylactery that size. And their tassels, the reminder of God, were super long. These guys must obey God. They must want to glorify God with everything they do. But it's all one big show. Don't be like them, Jesus wants. Don't be a hypocrite. Instead, Jesus tells everyone in verse 8 to 12, don't be obsessed with titles of superiority. Don't call someone your teacher or father or instructor in such a way that they'll be seen as above and superior and on a pedestal of gold who can do no wrong. No. Because Christ is your instructor. And we can only treat Christ that way. And because the greatest is to be a servant. In verse 12, those that seek others' praise will be humbled. And those that are humble will ultimately be praised. This is the explanation Jesus gives to the crowds of what he thinks of hypocrites. Don't be like them. Jesus is against hypocrites. And aren't we? I can imagine us in the crowd cheering Jesus on as he goes to town on these guys who have tried to knock Jesus down and taken so many others out with their hypocrisy. And, and Jesus steps it all up a notch. And it's no longer stinging like a bee. He begins pounding like a bull. He begins his condemnation of these hypocrites in verse 13 to 36. He knocks them into the corner and verbally delivers a sequence of five well-aimed punches, each one progressively stronger, stronger. First in verse 13 to 15, he knocks their hands away, their actions. Verse 15 says, they've traveled over land and sea to tell people about God. But in the end, they're just shutting people out of heaven. 
They take people further away from God, towards hell. You know, I'm shocking with direction. Somehow I was born a male without that so-called internal compass that I'm supposed to have. When I was down near the coast of Geelong, I intended to head back. So I was about to turn right in the intersection and kindly mentions that it's the opposite direction to where we're supposed to be going. East instead of west. And I would have led my whole family the wrong way. But these Pharisees, they're not only traveling destruction by insisting on rules that will lead people away from where they should be going. Wham, you hypocrites! Your actions are disastrous. He knocks their hands away. Next, Jesus whacks them in the mouth. Their words are ridiculous, he says in verse 16 to 22. You know, they say there are different levels of oaths or promises. They talk about technicalities that can get you out of promises you have made. It's like I'm back teaching at school in my first year of girls who are tough at times. They would often use the finger-crossing technique to get out of promises they made. The only way they could really trust each other is if they did the old pinky promise. And, you know, it's for little grade three girls. It's immature. Hypocritical, blind Pharisees were being like grade three. Doesn't matter what you swear by. In the end, I'll stop using your mouth to make your finny hypocrites. Thirdly, Jesus socks someone in the head. In verse 23 to 24, Jesus, the whole point of the problem, the whole point is they're missing the point. They don't even un- Verse 23 says they go so far as mint and dill and cumin, but in the end, they're missing the point. This is what the point is. It's justice. Mercy. They stop eating the smallest. Oh, it's like they're consuming the big... A camel. You hypocrites. Don't you understand the law? Show mercy. Stop rigidly applying your laws you made up that you don't even find in the end. Where is justice? Use your head, you hypocrites. Because fourthly, it's about the inside, not the outside in verse 25-28. Jesus gives them one in the ribs close to the heart. You know, they are really nice. They seem like they're following God. Anyone looking at them would think they're someone to aspire to. But inside, Jesus says in verse 25 and 28, they're full of greed, indulgence, hypocrisy, and lawlessness. The outside looks good, but the inside is ugly. First clean the cut. Jesus goes even further, though. It's worse than a son. Jesus said, I like a beautiful tomb. You know, outwardly they can be splendid. My wife and I at times would walk through the cemetery close to our house in Geelong. It's an amazing graves that are shiny and beautiful. But despite the outside, what's on the inside? Dead bones. The Pharisees are striving to follow clean contact clean. And finally... In 9-36, Jesus gives the final blow. The follow-up struck. All in a time machine, you know. They would listen to the prophets that God sent. They wouldn't have killed them like everyone else did in that time. They even decorate their adoration. That's what it says in verse 30. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. And what a stupid thing for them to claim when the greatest prophet... John the Baptist, 
they didn't believe him. But even more than that, the irony, Jesus, the Son of God, is standing before them and they're like, no, we'd better be better, we would listen. And here is Jesus. And they are trying to destroy him. What hypocrites. Jesus tells them what will happen in verse 34. He says, more prophets will come and you will kill them, flog them, crucify them and persecute them. And that's exactly what happened. All the martyrs like Stephen and many others all had this done to them. Jesus says, you know what, you hypocrites? You will be judged. You will be condemned. It will be as though the first to the last martyr in the Old Testament, able to Zechariah, will be You will be guilty in the very thing you pride yourself in. And on this fifth and final blow, the bell dings, and it's a clean knockout. We sit in our seats, watching the fight, glad these awful hypocrites get what's coming to them, and then Jesus ends his reverberating refrain of condemnation by looking around the crowd, looking at the city, and not delighted in a victory, but being overwhelmed with sorrow. He doesn't delight in the failure of the people. He loves the city. He loves the people of Jerusalem. These religious leaders have led them astray and no wonder he beats them up. But Jerusalem, you who stoned the prophets of God, you who failed me, Jesus is destroyed. And in verse 37, Jesus says this beautiful thing. He says, I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. It's like when I see my daughter crying after she's fallen off the couch, you know, head first, and I long to pick her up and hold her and protect her and look after her. And Jesus, who can protect so much better than I can, wants to for the people of Jerusalem. But it says they're not willing. They've rejected Christ. They will crucify Jesus. And yet Jesus ends in verse 39 with hope for the future. The king will come again. And this is the whole of Matthew 23 and and what a chapter. Jesus says what he thinks about hypocrites. And I suspect in many ways we're with Jesus when it comes to hypocrites. We're like the cheering crowd. The more I think about it, I wonder if we're closer to the action than the cheering crowd. We're in the ring, but we're not Jesus throwing the punches as much as we might like to. We're the hypocrites in the ring. Jesus is landing these blows on me. I wonder how many Jesus lands on you. Well, we like to let ourselves off lightly, but I think if we were honest with ourselves, we would see it again and again. What would Jesus say standing up here? Woe to you, churchgoer, Presbyterian. Woe to you, hypocrites. Is that what he would say? Are you a show pony? 
When you say, all for God's glory, how much do you really mean it? I often pray that God would be glorified, but I constantly need to watch out. Because at times when I serve a church, like read the Bible, pray, preach, play music, prepare supper, do sound, I really want to share the glory with God. Or at least, you know, uh, being glorified, so at least I won't be humiliated. But how much... Do you care about what other people think? How much do you care about what God thinks? How much do you care about be, being seen? How much do you care about God being seen? Are your hands knocked away when we say trust God, but when crisis hits or something unexpected happens, we only really trust the actions we can take. The things that we think we can control. Otherwise, we worry Does your mouth get whacked? You know, I say Jesus everything, and everyone needs to hear about Jesus, but in my Christian bubble at Bible College, I struggle to make time to build relations with people who need to hear this news. But if we really believed what we said, how much would our words change each day at work, uni, or sport? We pray for God to make opportunities for us, but do nothing about it. You know, my head gets socked when I know that I need to put Christ first, but in so many ways I keep putting myself first. Are your ribs broken because we focus so much on the outside instead of what's inside? When we come to church, so determined to look good in front of everybody else, even if we just argued with our spouse or yelled at the kids, at the parents, or, or feeling nothing like what we want to try to portray. My heart is struck because I read this chapter and think I'm better than the Pharisees. How often do you look at other people and think how much better you are, saying, I'm glad I'm not like them. You may point the finger at the hypocritical youth leader and that pastor who had an affair, but back home at the computer, there's a history on Google that's condemning. And walking down the street where, with a second glance, lust rears its head. You know, Jesus, he throws the punches. The bell dings. It's a clean knockout. And if you think you're still standing... And that's another big blow on you. You are fooling yourself. We're all on the ground. We're all down and out. Filthy, stinking, lying hypocrites. Our actions, words, thoughts, attitudes, hearts all point to being a hypocrite. We're in the ring on our faces and we deserve it. We feel helpless. We should feel helpless. We are condemned. There is no hope. And as we lie there, in our bruised state, Jesus offers us a hand. He says, trade places with me. And only Jesus can offer this because he was never a hypocrite. 
Jesus was all talk and all action. When the Pharisees tied up heavy burdens without offering a finger to help, Jesus says his yoke is light and his burden is easy. Jesus not only lifted a finger to help, he lifted his own life onto a cross and bore our entire burden of sinful neglect of the law. Jesus was no show pony. He humbled himself from heaven. He allowed people to ridicule him and desert him and spit on him and crucify him. He humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. And now he's exalted to the highest of places, ruler of all. And his hands, his hands that displayed only acts of love. Those hands bore the nails on the cross for hypocrites. His head understood the law perfectly and he was always just and merciful and faithful. And that same head bore a crown of thorns for every hypocrite that he loves. His heart is broken with sorrow for those who reject him. His heart desires to gather us together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Jesus says, Trade places with me. We take his hand. We stand up. And see how he is now lying beaten and bruised where we were. He offers us such grace and we don't deserve anything. But this is what he wants. So... What should have I said to my friend at uni who rejected Jesus because of hypocrites? What would have you said? Maybe I should have said something like, Yes, yes, the church is full of hypocrites. Yes, the world is full of hypocrites. But there was one person who never was a hypocrite. Jesus Christ. And he offers to trade places and save you and save me from our hypocrisy. He has a heart that is longing for people to come to him and find forgiveness. So trust Jesus and take his hand. Have you sought forgiveness from Jesus for your hypocrisy? And then we get up and what do we do? Do we just accept we're all hypocrites and that's it? No. If we were happy to be a hypocrite after what Jesus did to us, it would be like us spitting down on him who traded places with us, the one who was beaten in our place. How ungrateful would that be? Instead, we live now striving to fight against our hypocrisy, never being perfect but always trying to perfect We stop looking down on others and thinking how glad we are that we're not like them, but seek to humbly point them to Jesus. We stop play-acting when we come to church and trying to look like a good Christian in front of everyone. Instead, we're honest with each other. When we say something, we strive to do it. We don't just believe what the Bible says and hear it, but we live it. We strive to stop being hypocrites and we strive to stop pretending we're not hypocrites. Instead, we tell people about Jesus who never lived hypocritically and who saves hypocrites like me.
like you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus was no hypocrite. Thank you that we can find forgiveness for our hypocrisy. Please bear open our hearts and help us to see our own hypocrisy day by day and help us to plead and come to you, running to you for forgiveness when we fail, when we muck up, when we get it wrong. And by your Spirit, push us, encourage us, mould us to be more like Christ who never was a hypocrite. And give us the courage, give us the words and give us the wisdom to point everyone around us to Jesus Christ who never was a hypocrite. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.